Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Welcome to Long-Term Care podcast. I am your host, Bill Keese Ali. I am an RN and Certified Director of Nursing and Administration in Long-Term Care. Today, I have the pleasure of having my guest, Lucas, Lucas Carroll. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Um, different time zones, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No problem. Yeah, so thank you for joining me today. I greatly appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule. Absolutely. Um, today, guys, we're going to be talking about the relationship between the DON and administrator. All right. So, Lucas, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure, absolutely. And and first, I just want to say thanks so much for, for the invite on, on to uh, your podcast. I, I'm super excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, for, for myself, I've been uh, in a couple of different sectors in healthcare over the years, um, most recently in skilled nursing. And in skilled nursing, um, about seven or eight years as a nursing home administrator and have worked for a couple of different companies, a couple of different large chains, um, Life Care Centers of America, and most recently uh, worked as a nursing home administrator at a uh, smaller uh, boutique um, 96 bed facility in the Denver area that uh, was focused on short-term rehab. So hundred percent short-term patients. Um, but I've, I've just got to experience uh, different types of facilities of long-term, short-term, a mix. Uh, and then before that, I spent uh, a lot of years in non-medical home care and worked as the, you know, the equivalent as the administrator or executive director and, and, uh, and as well as on the corporate side and working with home care agencies about, uh, you know, growing their business and, and operating their business. Um, but most recently in, in uh, the nursing home sector. Okay, well, that's a nice little history you have there, especially when you get to be, be able to see the different um, varieties that you can get into when you're looking at healthcare in general. Absolutely. Um, so, hot topics are always the relationship between a DL and an, an administrator. And that's why I really wanted to get an administrator on, um, you know, the podcast. So we can kind of talk about um, things that you look for um, when you're in that hiring process for that DLN. Um, um, about a month or so ago, I put out a blog and a podcast talking about tips um, for the interview, right? For the DLN, things that, questions that they should be asking. However, now since the pandemic, a lot of DLNs have left filling shoes with newer DLNs that doesn't have that experience. Okay, now I know to only get experience, you have to be offered that position. However, when they're getting into these positions, they don't have the resources or some of the companies aren't investing in them, right? So they want to produce positive outcomes, but they don't want to provide the resources for them to learn on how to produce the positive outcome. So what are some things that you look for in a DON? Like, would you... Um, hire like a new DON with no experience like what's what's your thought on that because we are in trying times now and at the end of the day yes we know we have to have a DON in the facility right so how do you handle or have you had any experience with any of that yeah absolutely I mean that's such a great question and topic and uh, in 
for nursing homes that, that may be the most critical topic right now as the director of nursing position. And, you know, I've had the, I've worked with so many wonderful uh, DONs in, in my time and, and gone through the interview process. And uh, right now, it's just as you're saying, more than any other time, it's just, this, it's very difficult to be in that seat. And when you're working side by side with a DON, um, you know, it just is such a critical position. Um, you know, my approach has always been, I'll tell, uh, I'll say during the interview process, I'll say, you know, a month in, I'll say two years in that the, the DON job is, is the hardest job in the building. Uh, there is no doubt about it. And providing, you know, as much support and encouragement to the person in that role is really, you know, what one of my big drivers in, in making, helping somebody to see, to succeed in the DON role. And um, right now it's, it's, I've seen DONs who have, you know, maybe transitioned back to the floor, they've gone to the hospital, they've decided to be home with their family. Uh, uh, I've seen it more over the past six months than I've ever seen in, in the nursing home space before. And so finding somebody, getting creative to get somebody in that spot is, is what a lot of buildings are going through right now. And um, I, when I did the interview, uh, interview for the DON, I, I, I always found it's, it's um, a combination usually of uh, somebody who has sharp clinical skills and experiences with about a 50-50 of somebody who's able to communicate with uh, nurses on the floor, CNAs on the floor, um, family members, and just has a good way in, in which to communicate um, what's going on. And, and then just as a relatable person, somebody that you want to show up and go to work for. And having those two sets is difficult to find. You may find somebody who's sharp clinically, but uh, talking to a nurse about, uh, you know, just providing education on a specific topic regarding medications or patient approach or something like that, they may lack in and uh, having that combination in in somebody is just is so important uh, to represent well for for your building. Yes, definitely. You you definitely hit on um, a lot of a lot of um, good points. Um, the point definitely with the clinical background, right? We always want someone to have the clinical background so that they can be able to make the important decisions. Um, and then having that um, leadership mindset, right? Um, of being able to adapt and um, be able to lead the team. And a lot of people think that as a DON, you have to know all the answers. And I say, you don't, you have to know how to get to all the answers. And, you know, that's where that whole networking and resources come into play at. Um, and you're right, a lot of DONs have left, you know, a major point. Um, I've talked to a lot of them and it was primarily because they were working 80 hours a week. You're getting paid for 40 hours and they're not being compensated. Okay, why? Because their salary. So that's always the reason why they're, you know, they're leaving, they're burnt out. Um, and it's not everywhere, but it's it's happening, right? The reality is it's happening. And um, I've been in several groups where it's just, wow, which is why I really wanted to get on here and have this 
um, podcast because um, some of them, the relationship that they have um, with their administrator, it's appears to be toxic. Some of them are toxic, not all of them, but you know, when you're in these groups, you get to see more, right? You get to hear, hear what um, the nurse leaders are saying out there, such Absolutely. as, you know, the burnout and, you know, lack of appreciation, lack of support from the higher up team. Um, you know, so I think it's important because we can't function without a DON in a facility. So it's trying to find that balance um, so that they can stay and still have that work-life balance, right? There, I have so many are saying, oh, I have to work the floor um, constantly because I don't have anyone. How do you handle that? Like, um, do you support like agency or um, I always say like, you know, having those daily staffing meetings so we're not waiting to the last minute to get shifts covered. Um, and that the administrators, um, you know, should be more supportive than saying, hey, you have to protect your DON, right? If she's not well and she's working all the time, then who's going to take care of the facility if she's out, you know? So how, how do you um, support your um, DONs? Yeah, that's a great question. And, and they need uh, this more support than ever right now uh, and just trying to get through. And, and I think... Part of that where, you know, in the experiences that I've had is it really, it starts and it stops with staffing. If staffing is good, life is usually good for the DON. I mean, they have the usual uh, headaches and, you know, managing staff and, and patients and family members and um, all that stuff is there, but it, it just multiplies by, by a factor when on top of all that, you're having to worry about getting getting shifts covered and there's the potential for the DON to go on the floor and in in the relationships and, and communications that I've had in working with DONs what what I always try and make clear to the staffing coordinator is that putting the DON on the floor is the nuclear option it, it is the last line of defense when there is absolutely no other way that we can make it uh, through with an open shift and knowing that their time supporting that their time the don's time is critically valuable and it and it's uh, while it's important to provide patient and resident care of course um, they need to be focused on uh, you know monitoring the systems and processes that are going on internally uh, making sure that the trains are running on time putting out fires for you know resident uh, concerns and, and family members and you know, all the other new stuff, like making sure we're doing COVID testing, making sure that we're, uh, have the appropriate processes in place for visitors to come in the building, making sure we're monitoring visits, making sure that, you know, we're doing this, all this new vaccination. And there's a whole new set of concerns that have come up for the DON. And, and that with any success that, that I've had in helping to support a DON, it's really that trio of the staffer the administrator and the DON meeting and talking every day and not waiting until Thursday to worry about the weekend, but starting on Monday and doing everything in your power to keep agency uh, out of the building or as minimal as possible. And in the recent times, you know, I've experienced agency being completely out of the building and that wonderful feeling and then just 
having to rely the the other end of the spectrum having to rely on agency to keep keep going and keep being able to have enough staff to to take care of the patients and it's been very very tough um, but having that relationship the trio and not just leaving it to the don to the staffer but the trio of the administrator the staffer um, and the don on a daily basis and getting the support of the administrator to say what else we can't just you know throw the do on the floor again what else can we do what are we doing to to uh, uh, bring in new staff and and keep our current staff and, and to minimize our agency as much as possible. Great. Yeah, that's definitely great. And I was just going to say, like, um, what are some ways? Because, like I said, I've, I have clients from that have no staff and, you know, pretty much functioning 75% agency to where they have really well staff. They're very well staffed, you know, at a 4.0. Um, minimum 3.5 you know so I deal with clients from the high high to the very low barely making the numbers you know um, kind of staffing and you know it's a you know the thing is it's like if you know if we don't have the staff then of course how we're going to provide the care um, that we need to produce good outcomes right and that's just it's like a right without staff you can't provide the care which produces negative outcomes um, but yet the expectations um, that are put on, you know, nursing in general is a lot because you then have to uh, up your game even more trying to get everything done. And then that's where, you know, you have like the shortcuts happening because you're trying to get everything done. And it's just not the reality of right now. You know, so I definitely teach clients to identify what's top priority that needs to get done and and go from there, right? Having those staff challenged areas. Uh, you know, so definitely um, we're always trying to think about ways that we can retain staff. And um, it's it's hard to really get staff. Like I said, we have people functioning at a 75% of agency. And they're like, well, we're putting the numbers out there. Um, you know, we're, you know, putting as much hiring things in. But I'm like, what else can be done to... Um, bring them in right it's like we are dealing with a lot of tnas uh, which even though they're working however they still don't really understand it okay so not only when you bring them on i feel like you still have to do more education once they get in the building just because it's such a whole new atmosphere for them right they might not know how um to, to really transfer someone how to use a mechanical lift um what um, abuse is, you know, so you're now you having to dive into more education so that you can protect them from a safety standpoint as well as um, keeping your residents safe, um, you know, at the same time. So it's even hard trying to even get TNAs, you know, at this point. And I'm telling you, I'm about over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so over it. I can't even. Um, I can't even stress it enough. That's how I'm like, oh my goodness, when are we going to come out of it? Um, what can we do to keep the staff that are there? Um, and like you said, when you have agency and the facilities, the staff that are there, automatically they think, well, they're paying agency. Why can't we pay um, them more, right? And I know we were talking last week um, with a client and it, you know, breaking down the numbers, okay? They, we don't have to pay for the 
parents and vacation time and all of that, that all adds up to that lump sum, you know, of increasing their rate. However, I do think some of them need, might need to maybe look at their wages and perhaps, you know, increase it um, if that's what you have to do to retain your staff um, because they're still leaving. So it's like, what, what are, what have some, what are some things that you've done in the past that um, you were able to like retain your staff? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, it's difficult for everybody for sure. And some of the experiences that that I've had is uh, when it comes to retraining staff is having, I think what you were talking about is just if there is agency in the building and then, you know, they're saying, well, agency is saying that they're getting they're getting paid, you know, as a nurse, as an RN, maybe $45 an hour or something like that to be here. Um, you know, what does that mean for me? Uh, I've been working here for five years and, and uh, uh, I'm not getting paid near that much. And I think what that has presented from really for the opportunity for, for nurses is to reevaluate wages uh, in many nursing homes, certainly in the ones that I've worked at. Uh, there's been a compression of wages over the past, you know, uh, five to 10 years. Um, and this has really helped to reevaluate to say, okay, what is the current uh, market for RNs, LPNs, and CNAs out there if they go? In the facility that I most recently worked at, we really, since we we're a short term, is a beautiful building, you know, just a short term rehab center, we really were competing a lot against hospitals for staff. and. And the hospitals were able to afford to pay more. And we just had a great group of uh, long-term staff that continued to stay there because they all liked working with each other and they all liked providing care to the patients and it was a nice place to work. And then came this, you know, the pandemic and it really helped to just reevaluate and reset sort of the wages. So, uh, you know, an, an old wage scale was able to come back and be reevaluated and say, okay, we've made these market adjustments for existing staff um, that better reflect uh, based on tenure uh, and we're gonna make these adjustments. And I think that that went over really well to just say, we recognize what's going on in the marketplace. We wanna make these current market adjustments. We want you to stay. It's not all about the new staff that we're trying to bring in. Uh, we also appreciate that you've been here for, you know, however long, a certain period of time or longer. And we want you to, to continue to stay with us. And, and there are advantages over not being, you know, working for an agency where you don't know where you're going to go to work. And in a lot of experiences that I've seen, they send, you know, agency into some of the most challenging, maybe behavior, or maybe, you know, uh, memory care units or something like that, that just, just have, uh, they're very difficult to work in. And so, as an agency staff member, if you're looking for work, you may have to go into some unknowns, some challenging environments versus a, a known place that you enjoy working, that you can be consistent and, you know, you live close to and you understand what the benefits are. And I think some of that has gotten through to staff members as well for re retention. Yes. And I know um, um, what I'm hearing also is a lot um that um, the staff are saying that they want are a lot that have to do with the education um, aspect, like tuition reimbursement. Um, you know, say if you have a CNA, they want to go to school, 
for, um, you know, for nursing or your LPN might want to go to be an RN. You know, that has come up um, with a lot of the staff that I have spoken through, spoken with throughout different areas, um, different portions, you know, different states is, you know, a lot of companies aren't, you know, doing that tuition reimbursement. Um, especially if we don't really get um, staffing under control, you're not going to have a choice but to start um, moving staff up, like having a CNA go to school for an LPN because either you're going to continue to be an agency um, and having nurses or you're going to have to like grow the people within your team, which means investing in them to get to the next level um, in efforts to um, build your facility up again from a staff standpoint. Um, so, you know, that's, you know, keeps coming up in frequent conversations that I'm having. So I have been speaking with, you know, other companies are saying, you know, are y'all offering tuition reimbursement? Because people want to go back to school. Um, Absolutely. And it's a need. I mean, we need we need nurses as they're exiting. We need to replace, you know, nurses that are leaving. So the best way to do that is, you know, if you have people who are um, in your company, in your facility, and they want to go back to school, invest in them. And, you know, hopefully... They will stay with you if they're the CNA and they're going for that LPN. You you know you might have a better um, opportunity of keeping a CNA um, going back for an LPN rather than an LPN going back for an RN. Only because typically you know when you graduate and you get into that RN role, they want to go to the hospital, right? They want that hospital experience. So maybe investing um, with some people might can start doing is start investing in, into those CNAs, even those TNAs. You know to even get um, to be a nurse you know it's a year program um, so that you know you can kind of think of like okay in a year hopefully hypothetically we might have four nurses if we put these one through school and you know start looking at longevity um, instead of functioning just in the right now which I know is kind of hard to do right because we're barely making it right now but you know sometimes we have to think outside the box and think more in a long term um, approach rather than always being in survival mode. <clears throat> so yeah, so that's, you know, that's some things that I'm thinking about, um, you know, having companies start looking into. Yeah, and the grow your own too. You know, I've when I've seen other buildings that really do a great job, uh, they start, I've seen them start in housekeeping and in dietary. And they said, you know, you've been here for two years as a dietary aide. What do you think about being a CNA? Uh, yeah, you, you know, you, you're, a, you're great with patients, uh, residents, you do a good job. You're here on time. Have you ever thought about going to CNA school? And they'll be like, well, I don't, I don't know. I haven't ever, I haven't really thought about that. And just, uh, letting them know that there is a career path that could go from housekeeping or the kitchen or, uh, maintenance or something like that. They could go into CNA and LPN. Uh, that I have seen, I've seen it happen multiple times and it's so wonderful to help somebody grow. Uh, and also at the same time, you know, help, help the facility by growing their own, uh, into, into different, more into nursing positions where they're really, there's a big need for it. So that's another way too. I've seen it, uh, for in growing internally. Yes. That's a definitely a good point, um, to make, um, yeah, you know, because then not only that, then I think also see that different price, you know, wage difference too. You know, if you're coming from that 
housekeeping, dietary to that CNA, you know, they'll see a major shift in wages also. So definitely that's um, a good route to go also. Um, what else I was going to ask you? Like, so what are some things um, that you can do to like uh, build a strong, a strong team? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question and now more important than ever in, in uh, long-term care. And and I think uh, growing that long, uh, that strong team and, and each of the members is is uh, uh, is so critical. I mean, each, each department head, each department is working together is so important in making a, making a building operate and run well. And um, I think setting the tone, it, it all starts with setting the tone between the administrator and the DON. And, it goes a little bit back to your your question before. Um, you know, I, the most important relationship in the building I've always found is between the administrator and the DON and and the team seeing you operate as a cohesive unit, being respectful of each other. I would always, uh, I would never make a decision rather that that would involve nursing or larger in the facility if I didn't have the buy-in or had not yet had the conversation yet with the director of nursing. Um, and I've been in multiple different situations where, you know, they're trying to pit mom against dad and having just the response where I've already, you know, the DON and I have an understanding from the very beginning to say, hey, I'm not going to make a big decision unless I talk to you first. So if somebody's coming to talk to you, that they've told a nurse is coming to say that they've already talked to me that about their review and that I've told them they can have a, a $4 an hour raise. Just know that's not true. Just know from the beginning that unless you and I talk about it, um, that we're not, I'm not going to make that decision and vice versa. If you're going to make a large uh, nursing decision about a change in a manager or wanting to change from 12 hour to eight hour shifts or just something that that has a larger impact uh, on the facility that it's reciprocal that we're going to have a conversation about it and seeing that so talking about having a strong team seeing just a unit between the don and administrator just sets the tone for the whole team to say hey those are two people that respect each other. They want what's best for the staff. They want to provide excellent resident care. Uh, and then, and you're gonna, if you're gonna try and, um, uh, you know, have a conversation or you're going to try and make changes or whatever you're, you're gonna try and do, just know you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to go through that cohesive unit in order to make it happen. Um, it is where it's always started for me. And then after that, for the team, I've just found it so helpful to have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with each department head and having the respect for them of uh, having those. I try, I try to do it uh, once a week with each department. It wasn't always successful just with everything that was going on, but it didn't have to be a formalized meeting. I, would, I was always out walking around and then I would always stop in and just try and have a conversation with each department head. What's going on? Uh, how's your team? What do you need? And them, I felt like that they noticed uh, if someone took a sincere interest in themselves and their team and they wanted to help and they wanted to make things better and that coming back to operating as a team, um, uh, I thought was helpful. So, you know, just having that strong relationship between 
the DON administrator and then having a one-on-one relationship with department heads, I felt had a lot of had a lot to do with having strong teams. Yes, that's that's a very great point. And you nailed it with that relationship between, you know, that DON and administrator. I always say it's a marriage, right? It's a work marriage, right? You set the tone of the facility and how people, how your team sees you, it um, sets that tone, right? If they see that you're have that tension and you're not getting along, then you know it's right. They're going to be like, you know, staff are going to be like playing size and things. But I, I always say no one should um, see um, the DON and administrator um, not connecting, right? And you know sometimes people just don't mesh well, right? It's just, it's just different personalities. But that respect level that you need to have for one another is crucial and the um, the undermining um, and I just um, read in one of the groups that um, an administrator had hired like an Adon behind his DON's back and I was like wow <laughs> like wow you know so um, and I think you know the DON I think she quit because of that but who could blame her like how do you hire a, an ADON under um, without the DON even interviewing, right? So I think that was an overstep of boundaries um, there and then um, undermining um, for that um, DON. So kudos for her for um, resigning, um, putting her notice in or whatever. But, you know, at some point you have to establish those boundaries um, um, and that, that respect level, like I said, between both parties. I agree. Right? We all have the same end goal, right? What's the end goal? What's your mission? Like you all, you have to agree to have the same plan. All right. You might not necessarily always like one another, but having that same vision, you have to on the same level. I agree. And and I think that having that mutual respect really helps because I think from the administrator's perspective that, you know, they're getting pressure for dollars and cents. And and that's the angle that they look, uh, the lens that they look through a lot of things, including like staffing PPD and, uh, you know, sign on bonuses and uh, working a shift bonus and showing up to work and tying your shoes bonus and all that stuff uh, that we're having to do at times. Um, and so having that mutual respect, if that's the lens in which the administrator looks through at the same time, the, the DON won't. And, and typically doesn't uh, want to understand unless understand what that looks like and how to help control staffing and PPD and expenses unless the administrator shows an understanding of, you know, well, you got to understand what what I'm going through. I'm, I'm trying to make sure we have these shifts covered and I'm trying to make sure that these staff that we currently have don't want to go somewhere else. And I'm also trying to, you know, investigate a you know, a, a injury of unknown origin. At the same time, I got an angry family member. Like I have a thousand things coming at me and uh, I need you to understand what, you know, what my day looks like, what I'm going through. And in that, if you're understanding me, then I'm also understanding, I have the capacity to understand you uh, when it comes to dollars and cents and how important it is to make sure that you're, you know, operating, um, uh, operating in the black as as a facility and i think having that mutual respect is really the whole foundation of having that understanding but going both ways on on how to make a successful building 
Yes. Um, agreed. And I will say, like, there's not a lot of um, budgeting that really goes into, like, um, the DLN, right? They don't um, teach that, really. <clears throat> you learn that, and you learn that primarily if you have an administrator that's going to show you, like you said, those dollars and cents and knowing what that PPD is and knowing what it means to have a budget when it comes to central supply and knowing what it means to look at that number when that nurse constantly gets out late because another nurse might be coming in late and correlating all of that add up with the dollars and cents at the end of the year and how we have to have those meetings monthly or quarterly, <clears throat> you know, those financial meetings. You know, so unless they are giving... Um, like I said, if that nursing home administrator is providing them with that information, they're, they're really not going to understand it. They're going to think like, okay, listen, this is what I have. This is what I need. And I don't care what I have to do to get there. All right. So um, I definitely can relate to that because I know when I first started out um, as a DON, that um, budgeting thing was was like a foreign language. What? What do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> manage this the, oh a ppd oh and central supply oh and check overtime oh oh okay <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like you really had to uh, understand the knowledge you know you had to learn that but then if you didn't have a person in your central supply that knew what a budget was and knew how to order all for a patient per day you know then you were even in a worse situation because then you were always either over or, or under or running out of something. And I know I talked about that in um, one of my books and courses, like never run out of supplies. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like having, you know, that budgeting, you know, making sense of that dollar and cents. And, um, you know, we don't know too much cost effect, what cost effective means, right? We're not taught that. We're taught to like, you know, copy, how to lead the clinical side. But now you really need to know that, especially during these trying times, you, because a lot of people are in arrears, right? There's not, people aren't making money right now because their overhead is so high with expenses, with just agency and staff alone. So to know that I need that admission, you know, to get those admissions, we have to pay bills. You know, they're not really understanding that, especially the new ones, okay? Because it wasn't taught to us, um, you know, as DLNs, right? But it's something that we have to now learn um, to become cost effective, especially right now during this pandemic, um, when people are barely struggling to pay their bills right now um, in these nursing homes. Right. Um, you know, so um, definitely appreciate this time that you've taken out of your day to speak with me. Um, so a couple key things, guys, to keep in mind. Um, the relationship for the deal, the deal and an administrator is crucial, right? You guys set the tone in your facility um, and you have to have that same vision, right? Working together, having that respect level and, you know, not undermining one another. All right. So that's what I wanted to talk about today. Lucas, do you have anything else you want to add? Um, no, I mean, it's been such a wonderful conversation. We covered some great topics. So I thank you very much. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Um, again, guys, so my name is Bill Keese Ali. If you have questions, comments, concerns, anything, you know how to reach me, consultant at welcometolongtermcare.com. As always, visit my website for all of your nursing needs. 
and be on the lookout for the survey prep course that will be coming out this week. All right, everyone, have a wonderful day, and I will talk to you soon. Bye.